0: to see you guys again this morning. You look great as always. It's January the nineteenth. Anybody feeling adjusted to the new year yet? No, I got a lot of no's. Some of you guys are back in school and you're like dreading it. Who has a day off tomorrow? You guys stink. That's great. Uh, happy Martin Luther King weekend. I am so excited, and you hear me say that a lot, but truly. So excited because today, yes, today. Look at your neighbor and just say today. And you don't know why you're saying that yet. Today, we are beginning a new series and a new study together in one of my favorite books of the Bible. In fact, I am flipped out, flipping excited about the book of Philippians. You guys need to lighten up a little bit. Uh, we are gonna be on an eight week journey over the next, well, eight weeks. <laughs> you got it folks, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Um, in the book of Philippians, and I am, I am really excited about it. Um, I remember when, it was soon after I was saved, um, I discovered this little small book in the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to go ahead and take them out. You can turn to the book of Philippians. It's a really small book, uh, one of the epistles of Paul. Uh, I remember as a kid, I learned a general electric power company. Everybody say that with me. General electric power company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's the order of those four little epistles sandwiched in there. So you guys came here this morning for a reason, to learn the order of those books. Uh, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. But I learned and discovered this small book of Philippians and it was such a joy to me at that point in my Christian life. And it still is such a joy to me and to millions of believers who are students of the word of God and are hungry to know more of God, to know more of Jesus, and to know more of what he wants to do and can do in our heart and in our life. Um, This is a foundational book for understanding God's purpose for you. It's a foundational book for understanding what it looks like to truly live and to grow, to mature as a believer in Christ. How can you trust God in any and every circumstance? is it possible to really have joy in your life? Like abiding, never ending, growing joy in your life in any and every circumstance. How is it possible to see your life with a singular purpose and to live for it and die for it? How is it possible to live out a selfless life like we know and believe that God calls us to live but practically how is it possible to see selflessness be rid out of your heart and out of your life so that you can be free truly free to love and serve others how are you to see yourself now as a Christian who are you and what's your identity all about these are some of the questions that Paul wrestles with and encourages the church to embrace and to love and to live in, in this small book, only four chapters. But it's, these are big questions in life and they're questions that God wants to have you answer and to know and to understand and to love and to embrace all that he has done for you in his son, Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I am hungry to know him more. Are you? Hello, I'm hungry. I want to know God more. He made me for this reason that I might know him and enjoy him forever and might live for him. And I am hungry for my life to count. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I am hungry to know more of what it looks like to know him and to live for him. And that's why I'm so flippin' Excited about the book of Philippians, all right? And I hope you're excited too. Uh, My practical encouragement to you guys uh, through this series is this. Number one, read the book, okay? And look at your neighbor again. You're gonna tell your neighbor a couple of things, all right, today. If you're you're new here, we talk to each other, okay? And it's okay. Uh, Tell your neighbor, read the book, all right? Read it. One of the greatest things that you can do, it'll only take you 20, 30 minutes to read the whole book of Philippians, but I want you, I encourage you, I exhort you and challenge you to spend time in the Word of God as we go through this series. I pray that you're having time with God every day in His Word because it's His medium to speak to us by His Spirit, His truth, His Word. That's how He communicates. I want you to be spending time with God, but in this series, I encourage you especially to be spending time in the book of Philippians. Remember, it's not quantity of verses you can read every day, it's the quality of time that you have to spend with God. So spend time in the Word. My second encouragement is to get involved in a small group, and you can tell that to your neighbor too. Some of you guys are going to have a hard time because you're not involved in a small group. But it's okay, because the invitation is, you can get involved in a small group. Now, why don't we want you to get involved in a small group? The reason is because that's where we really believe you have the opportunity to live an authentic community and to really wrestle with how the word meets your life. How God is really wrestling with you and desiring to change you and how that looks on a practical basis week to week. Our small groups study the same thing that we're going to be studying on Sunday mornings, but just in a deeper and more practical way. And so if you're really serious about wanting to know Christ and wanting to live for him, I encourage you, spend time in his word and get involved in a community. We have lots of them available almost every day of the week, except for Saturday, where you can uh, actually dive deeper into what this is all about. We're gonna be in the first 11 verses this morning. And the focus of today's message and the scripture of today is a changed people. You've got notes uh, in your chair. You should have a place in the back of the bulletin where you can write down and I always encourage you to do that to be a student of the word so that you can take it home, embrace it, apply it, and then share it with somebody else. It changed people. We're not going to go very far this morning, but we're going to go far enough to allow God to start to speak to us. First three verses. Let's read the word together. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to stop right there and just camp out for a minute because I got to fill you in uh, on kind of what's going on. We say books of the Bible, this is really not a book, it should really be called a letter. Paul's writing a letter and he's writing it, it says here, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at where? Philippi. So if you wonder where we get the the name Philippians, it's because this is a letter to the church at Philippi. This is a church very, very close to Paul's heart. Uh, Many think and I happen to believe that this church is one of the dearest groups uh, to his heart. Philippi. What's the deal with Philippi? Well, Paul went to Philippi on a second missionary journey. It's in Macedonia, which is present day Greece. And Paul's strategy, as he was called out to take the gospel to all people, especially where Christ had not been named, was to go to cities to go to large metropolitan areas, much like the one that we sit in this morning. He would go to cities. Because in cities, what do you have? Large concentrations of people. Very good. Large concentrations of people. And from the cities, disseminated a lot of the culture of the surrounding areas. People would come into the cities... For jobs, come into the cities for trade, come into the cities for courts, come into the cities for their livelihood. And what they what happened in the city often would be what happened in the region. So he went to cities, and this city, named Philippi, happened to be in Macedonia, named after anybody know? Alexander the Great's dad, Philip. And it was a Big, major city of the day it was a really important trading city. there was a big route that ran right through the city that provided a lot of transportation for trade and so you'd have people coming and going very often in and out of Philippi. It was a Roman colony which meant which was a big deal in that day. It meant that Rome took it under its own territory and sent in probably hundreds if not more of retired roman army guys and they would establish roman government they would establish roman culture they would establish roman gods they would establish roman courts they would establish roman law and so they this is a city in macedonia that is a big bustling city an important city where people would come and go that is also under roman territory Now, if you go back in the Bible, flip to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now, I want you to read this. I'm just having you flip here because I want you to earmark it, put something there, because I want you to go back and read this verse by verse this week. But for now, I want to give you an overview of what happens. And I'm just going to be giving you an overview verse by verse. But this is really important for you to understand because here we learn how this church in Philippi emerges. What we find out is that Paul, after being led by the Lord, he's on a journey, prohibited from going to Asia. He moves into this Macedonian area and is led to move into the city of Philippi. When he gets there, he's obviously interested in spreading the news that God saves through his son, Jesus Christ. And one of Paul's strategies is he always looks for where religious people are hanging out because he thinks that folks who are already seeking God might be interested in hearing the greatest message, the true message of God. And so where he goes is he goes down outside of the city. And you read this in your time this week. He goes outside the city near the riverbank where a group of women are there seeking God. Now that doesn't say that they knew the truth about God. In fact, what we learn is that when Paul goes down there, he starts talking and engaging with all of these women. We know that what he was talking to them about was the good news that God saves every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus in his life sinless, perfect, righteous life in his willing death, not because he needed to die, but because he chose to die for our sins, bearing the wrath of God and taking on our sins in his life, in his death, in his resurrection from the grave. Three days later, to conquer sin, to defeat death and the enemy and to provide life for all who will call upon his name in Jesus, God has done everything to bring you back to him. We know that's the message that Paul is proclaiming because it's the message that he proclaimed all through scripture that we can read. And he's down there hanging out with a bunch of women, women that are interested in spiritual things and that might describe some of you this morning. You're interested in spiritual things or maybe a place that you've been in your life where you're curious about God. You wanna know him, you're curious about him. You might've taken some first steps into the door and that's a great thing. But the reality is that curiosity about God is not what saves. Jesus Christ is who saves. And those who are curious about God need to learn the truth about God because it's not whatever we make up and want Him to be. No, God is who He is and we don't change Him. But we need to know the truth about Him. That though we are yet sinners, Jesus died for us and by putting our faith in Him, we can be saved. And the amazing thing is he's hanging out with these women and this lady named Lydia. Picture her standing by the riverbank there in Greece, who's seeking God that day, engaged in spiritual conversations. The Bible says that God opened her heart. Look at it. Acts chapter 16. Are you there? Verse 14, one of who heard us was a woman. Her name was Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. She's out there selling her goods and she's a worshiper of God. But then look, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to get it, to get it, to receive the news of Jesus. And obviously she gave herself to the Lord. She was saved because it says in verse 15, that she was baptized. Not only her, but her and her household. Paul walks into the city, goes out, hangs out with folks who are seeking God and all of a sudden Lydia and all of her house give themselves to the Lord Jesus and they're saved in a mighty way. Well, Paul ain't done yet as none of us should be. He wants to tell more people and so he continues to go about and all of a sudden this young girl who's possessed by a spirit that's not of God, who is a fortune teller, starts hanging out with Paul and following him around and screaming out, hey, these guys are of God. Everywhere he went. Now, can you imagine, what if I followed you around for days? Think about your ordinary life. What if I followed you around and be like, here's a person of God. Everywhere you went. That's pretty funny, right? Kind of weird. How would you feel about that? Well, in a moment of humor, perhaps in scripture, in Acts 7, Acts 16 we learn that Paul becomes greatly annoyed. And all of a sudden, after days of apparently allowing this to go on and on, turns around and calls out to the spirit that is within the girl because always when we see an encounters with the enemy, what's spoken to is the spirit inside, not the person speaks to the spirit in the girl and commands that spirit in the name of Jesus to depart the girl. The girl is radically freed from the oppression, from the sin, from the addiction, from the bondage that the spirit was creating in her life. And she releases herself to the Lord Jesus. And it is a dramatic thing. Well, there was a little problem, though. There was a little problem because this girl had been basically living under these guys who are using her for her fortune telling abilities through this outside spirit and we're making money off her they've set up a business having her out there in a little booth being able to try to predict and prophesy people's futures by the spirit that was not of god and now she's free from the spirit which means what for these guys the business is gone the profitability is lost And all of a sudden they don't really care about the girl so much as they do their own pockets. They don't care that the girl is freed. What they care about is the fact that what it means to me. And so they cause a ruckus right in the middle of town. Imagine being down on second street. You see somebody delivered in an awesome way Somebody else is affected by it and they cause a ruckus down there bringing people in. Can you believe this? This guy's trying to corrupt our society, corrupt our government. This is against the law. He's taking my business. Pulling in the magistrates and all of a sudden what happens? Look at it. Verse 19. When the owner saw the hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas They dragged them into the marketplace. And then what happens? Verse 23, they inflicted many blows on them. They threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Paul and Silas, wanting to help people know that God saves and delivers every person who trusts Jesus Christ, wanting to see this girl freed from the captivity of the sin and the spiritual bondage that she was in, now accused, convicted, and thrown into the city jail. Well, did they get down? Did they get frustrated? Did they start cursing God and cursing everybody around and judging them? No, what it says is they went into prison, their feet in shackles. Now, this is a good story, guys. I hope you're paying attention. This is true. What happened? Feet in shackles. And the Bible says that they're sitting in prison praying and singing songs of thanksgiving to God. Your great name, Jesus, worthy is the lamb that was slain. You guys think I should lead worship, don't you? So good, impressive. So thankful for our worship team. But they're in prison praying and singing, which is what we should do in any and every circumstance of life to always have a heart of thanksgiving to God for who he is and what he's done for us. As they were praying, what the Bible says in Acts 16 is that literally there was an earthquake and the prison shook such that the doors of the prison we're released. Now that's, that's interesting, right? All of a sudden, the prison doors fling open as an act of God. Well, the jailer freaks out. His one job, think about it. Your one job is to make sure these guys stay in those locked doors. And all of a sudden you look up in the middle of the night, you're probably sleeping or dozing off or something. You look up and their chains are undone and the prison bars are open. And what the guy does is he begins to take his sword in order that he might take his own life because his one job he had failed at and has an act of honor in his mind, you think of his society and the position he was called to serve. He begins to take his own life. But Paul cries out to him and says, no, don't do that. You see, uh, the, the prison is open, but we're all here. All of us prisoners that you're responsible for, we're all here. And the Philippian jailer looks at him and says, Oh, what must I do to be saved? Something in that prison, whether it's their songs, whether it's their prayers, whether it's the act of God that opened the prison that they might get free. Maybe it's the honor of the prisoners to stay in respect of the card. But something calls this guy, the Holy Spirit, in that moment to say, what must I do to be saved? I see that you have a relationship with God and I don't have that. Something is real to you that is not real to me and I want what you have. Tell me, brother, what must I do to be right with God? And the Bible says that at that moment, the Philippian jailer was converted because the answer of Paul and Silas was that he might believe on the Lord Jesus that he might be saved, he and his household. So he... Gives himself to the Lord, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then says, "Uh, Are you guys serious about my household? Because if you are, I got a lot of children back home and a wife that nags me all the time. Just kidding. No nagging wives. I want them to be saved too. He takes them back to his house. The whole family is saved and baptized. And then what the scripture says at the end of Acts 16 is that he offers to clean up the wounds of Paul and Silas. The guy who's in charge of the prison is now cleaning up the wounds of the prisoners. Because he's so overwhelmed and overjoyed by the grace and love that he has found in Jesus Christ. Now this is amazing. Don't you think Here's a city totally void of any people of God, any word of God, any presence of God. Paul goes in with a message of love and of life and of the power of salvation through Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden you see radical, radical change. So go back to Philippians verse one through three. I want you to connect us, because what Paul says, Paul and Timothy writing to the saints of Philippi, who he's writing to is Lydia and her family. Who he's writing to is this young girl who had been involved in satanic, wicked, evil activity who had been previously suppressed by a spirit not of God, who had been radically freed. Who he's writing to is a jailer who had once given himself to the honor of Rome, who had been freed from that attachment and now had given himself to the glory of Jesus Christ and his family. This is the church of Philippi. And we assume more who had gathered in faith in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what a church looks like. And you can write this down. God's people are a changed people. God's people are a changed people. The church simply looks like a group of people, just like you and like me. Who have been radically changed by the grace of Jesus Christ and united together in fellowship and in purpose for Him. The first change we see is obvious. They have been radically changed in their hearts. And that's the first point you can write down today. Jesus brings radical change to our hearts. Jesus brings radical change to our hearts. Think about it. You've got a perhaps middle-aged woman, religious, seeking God, but not really knowing the God that she's seeking. Curious, but not really having the answers that she needed. who suddenly finds the truth about God and is radically satisfied and enraptured in worship and praise of Him. You've got a young girl, maybe in her teenager years. You might can think about, picture girls that are like this, perhaps even some in your family or in her city, who seems to be caught up in the vampire movies, who seems to live a dark, Life, who seems to be held captive by stuff in this world, who maybe even have sold herself out, dark, possessed, something going on that doesn't seem right, who is now smiling and glowing and free because she knows a love that is greater than any love in this world. And she knows a power that is greater than any addiction and sin. She knows now the living God and has a relationship with him in Jesus Christ. You've got an ordinary middle-class guy with a family who just wants to do his job and come home. Who doesn't know much more than just working hard and being the best at what he can be. And when the best Fails, he wants to end it all because he doesn't really know what else life is about. Who now sees his life as having a bigger purpose in God. There's something, some glory to be lived for that's higher than any honor or glory in this world the glory of God and Jesus Christ, who now has been radically transformed by his grace, by his love all of these really ordinary people who have really messed up past and otherwise will be clueless in life now are singing together the praises of Jesus Christ. They are a radically changed people and the first change comes in their hearts. Which is why I believe Paul starts this chapter by saying to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, to all the saints. What does saint mean? Well, it means one who's set apart, one who has been consecrated, one who has been set apart, who has been changed and dedicated to God. Now, when we think about saints, I know some of you guys have heard of religions or denominations within our religion that teach that to be a saint you've got to have a committee that studies your life that finds you without fault after 20 years you've got to perform some kind of miracle and be tested and confirmed that you have now entered sainthood and can be prayed to and all this stuff let me tell you that is not what the Bible teaches about what saints are Some of you guys come from families and you grew up in church or maybe you've been around church for a little bit and you think saints are people who are extraordinarily good Christians. Oh, that Miss Bessie. She's at the church every time the doors are open. She's such a saint. Y'all ever use that? (laughs) I I know I do. The reality is that's not what scripture teaches either. What scripture teaches is that every person who is in Christ Jesus, in a relationship with him, is in fact a saint of God. You are one who has been set apart for him. You have been made holy and you are called literally a holy one. Now you look at me and you see all the blank stares. You're going, oh gosh, I'm a saint. I mean, just say that. If you're in Christ Jesus, you can say, I am a saint. And that, does that feel weird? It kind of feels weird to some of us. But if it feels weird, it's because you may not have fully embraced that this indeed is what Christ Jesus has done in you, for you, in his life, his death and his resurrection from the grave. He has purchased holiness for you and given it to you freely by your willing faith and surrender to him. Amen? Your sainthood is not about you being a great person for God. It's about the fact that Jesus was a perfect person for you. And he takes all of your sin that makes you unholy and he gives you all of his righteousness that makes you holy. And then he calls you his holy one. You are a saint of God. You've experienced a radical grace and change in your heart. And the question is can we live out what we already are? Can you embrace and live in the fact? that you have already been made righteous in Christ, not because of you, but because of him. You are the recipient of the greatest love and purest grace you can ever imagine, grace that covers all of your sins. You have been washed in the blood of the lamb. And because of Jesus, you are now new. Second Corinthians 5 says that you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This is what God does to every person when they believe in Christ. It's what he can do in you today. It is a radical change that comes into your life. And then you get to live out what you already are. You already are holy, now live as a holy person. You already are clean, so live clean for the Lord. You already are righteous, so live in the fruit of righteousness. You get it? These are, Lydia, this young girl, the jailer, they're ordinary people. They're the Barrett's, the Michelle's, the Lakita's, the Zach's, the Rob's, the John's of Memphis. They were all on very, seeking their own way, very different paths, but all of them have come to know the greatest love, the love of God in Jesus Christ. And they've all given themselves to it and have been changed by his grace. And now Paul says to them, you are saints, you are saints. And then he makes sure they understand it. Saints in Christ Jesus. And even Paul himself calls himself here, what's he saying, first verse? A servant of Christ Jesus. The only letter he doesn't use, apostle. He just says, I'm a servant. I'm not exerting my leadership, my authority over you. I want you to know that I'm with you in this. I was a rebel. I was lost. I was trying to be something that I should have never been. And I was on a path toward hell. And now I am a happy bond slave of Jesus Christ. Because giving myself in slavery to Jesus is the most free of all places. God's people are a changed people. And it starts in the heart. The question is for you this morning, can you say, I'm a changed person? When you look back at your story, I need you to think about this right now. When you look back at your story, is there anything that can explain who you are today other than the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? Is there anything that can explain what has happened in your life and heart today other than the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ through your willing faith and surrender to him? You should have a story of a radical change in your heart that has overflowed into your life. That is the power of God to all who believe. It's the testimony of all true followers of Jesus. A testimony, I have encountered the living God and I am not the same as I once was. I am a new creation because of Jesus Christ in me. Amen? The second two points come from verses three through 11. We'll go through them quickly. Not only does Jesus radically change our hearts, but God's people are changed people in this, that he also radically changes our community. He radically changes our community. If you want to know what God's church is, what it's all about, look at verses three through 11, and we'll tackle both of these final points together. He says, I thank my God and all of my remembrance of you, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God's people are changed people first because of the radical change that he works in your hearts. Second, because of the radical change that he creates in a new community. The interesting thing is if you look back at the scripture, and I think I've got it on the side here with color-coded words that you can see um, the emotive words that are being used. He uses such emotive words when he's looking and talking to the church at Philippi. I thank my God with joy. I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus so that your love may abound more and more. You get this picture that the church that's formed is a church that really likes each other, right? Right? I mean, would it be weird, guys, if I came up to you and I'd be like, dude, I love you. I yearn to be together, right? Or for us as a couple, you know, to say to another couple, man, I long for the times that we get to spend with you. Well, the reality is that this is how we should feel about one another, God's people are a changed people in that there is a new community created, the Ecclesia, the group of called out ones. This first group in Europe, Philippian church is the first church Paul plants in Europe. This first group, this first group of called out ones are a weird looking group. Where else do you find middle-aged business women hanging out with young emo uh, girls that have been set free by their past? hanging out with middle-aged dudes who enjoy football and working hard for their family. Where else do you find a group like this coming together, being like, guys, we love each other. We yearn for each other. We long to be together. Our fellowship is strong. You don't find that anywhere other than the new community that's formed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. See, our fellowship that we share as Christians is so much deeper than hanging out to watch a Super Bowl game or sitting around eating nachos. It's so much deeper than just mere uh, acquaintance or, or casual friendship. It is a deep, abiding fellowship centered in the shared experience of the grace of Jesus Christ and the shared purpose that we now have together. The church should be a place where you look at it and you go, I can't explain what's going on there other than something of God. (laughs) I don't understand how all those people get along and have such deep relationships, authentic community, true friendships, and they love each other. They're living together. I don't understand how that happens other than a work of God. Sometimes I get scared, church, that we look too much like each other. Sometimes I get worried that here in Memphis, one of the most racially tense places I have ever lived, that we could allow the common stereotypes about each other, and it works both ways, that we could allow the common barriers that are built, the common judgmental attitudes or evils of racism to exist within our own hearts, our own lives, or even this church. And as long as I'm pastor, I do not want to stand for it. And I want, we are a people that doesn't look as Martin Luther King said, at the color of skin. We look at the content of character. And what I believe we should look for more than anything is whether people are in a relationship with God or not, whether people are made in his image. And let me tell you, every person is made in the image of God. We all bear his likeness, Amen. put away the petty discriminatory tendencies in your life. Look past the surface, folks. Look at who people really are and who they can be in God through Jesus. Amen? The church should look like a changed people in that there's a changed community. It is a group that loves each other and is diverse in their backgrounds. All united because of the grace that we have found together in Jesus Christ. The open table that has been provided through his own body and blood. There is but one Lord that we all call Savior. Martin Luther King said, the most divided hour In America, is the Sunday morning church hour. I believe we've made great advances, but I believe there's more work to do. I want our church to be a church that reflects the unity through diversity of God's people. Amen? The final point is that God's people are a changed people, not only because of the radical change he brings to each of our hearts, not only the radical change he brings to our kind of community and you should be asking the question, God, are there things I need to let go of? Are there attitudes I need to change? Are there new relationships I need to embrace because your community is a different community than the normal community this world would create for me? But third, we are radical change people because he changes our purpose. He changes our purpose. That's point number three. If you look back at this verses three through 11, you see Paul praying for him. Verse five, because of their partnership in the gospel. It's a phrase that means they're engaged in the same work that Paul is engaged in, the gospel work. Verse six, he says that he's sure of this, that he who began a good work in them would carry it on into completion. Till the day of Christ Jesus. He says in verse seven, that they are partakers with him in the gospel, his defense and the confirmation of it. And then he prays at the end, verse 10, nine and 10, that they may grow in knowledge and discernment, that they may approve what is excellent, that they might be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that, hey, guys, you are changed people. You are no longer just wandering around, living your life, doing what you wanna do. It's all about me, what makes me happy, whether or not I can grow my bank accounts and live in the good neighborhoods and get a better job and have a good family and not be sick and all of these stupid things that define the American dream. He's saying, no, wake up, that's not you anymore. You see, now you're about what God's about. He's begun a work in you. Andrew Murray said that all of God's work is in your heart. The whole world is in your heart. He's begun a work in you that will overflow, he says, into a fruit of righteousness. The natural output of your life will be radically different than that which before you became a Christian, because now you'll live for God and not yourself. Now your greatest desires will be for his kingdom and not your own pleasure, now you will love to be a part of what God is a part of in this world. He's praying. In his introduction to the church of Philippi, he's praying that they would see that they're a changed people. The whole rest of the book launches from here. The three questions for you this morning. Have you been radically changed in your heart by the grace of Jesus. This is God's work in everyone who will call on the name of the Lord and give themselves to him in repentance and in faith. This is what Christ Jesus came to accomplish for you and in you. Have you been changed? Do you have a story that says, you know what, this is who I was but this is who God's made me to be. If not, today is the day of salvation. If so, be thankful and see your central identity as one who has been changed by his grace, a saint of God. Second question for you today is have you embraced the new community that God wants you to have? In your immediate friend group, Can you explain it by something other than the gospel, the grace of God that has formed a new affinity and community for you? If you can, you need to let go of some barriers that this world might have put up for you and say yes to embrace the new community that God has for you in his people. And third, are you on fire? Are you on fire? for his purposes. If I looked at your time, if I looked at your bank account, if I looked at the way that you invest your life, would it show an investment in God's kingdom or would it show an investment in your own self and pleasure? You are a changed people. You are changed in your heart, in your community and in your purposes. Live as God has radically changed Let's stand as we close our time today. As we sing our closing song this morning, communion is available here at the front. We observe communion regularly together because the Lord has instructed His church, us as God's people, to do so. It's a time for us to remember that everything that we are and everything that we have, that salvation that we enjoy as believers comes because of the life, the suffering, the bloodshed, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Communion is for those who have been radically changed by His grace and who have professed Him, who surrendered everything to Him, And it's a time for you, as Jesus says, to take, to eat, and to remember him. Do so this morning with a heart of reverence, with a heart of gratitude, and with a prayer that God would allow you to live in the change that he has brought into your life. There are other decisions that need to be made, prayers that need to be prayed. I'm here, the altar is here. Respond as God leads. Let me pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We ask in these next moments, Lord, that we not be concerned about anything other than whether or not we are in you and in right relationship with you. We thank you, Jesus, that our salvation is not dependent upon ourselves or what we can do or what we've ever done. It's dependent on your grace that you gave upon the cross. As we take communion today, God, I pray that we would approach the table with the heart of repentance heart of faith and an eager anticipation for the day that we get to be with you face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name.